Hello, hi, and welcome to this episode of The Emma Gunn Show featuring my conversation with psychologist and author of Future Tense, Dr. Tracy Dennis-Tawari, who is making a welcome return to the show to talk about the ways in which we can all manage the uneasy feelings associated with anxiety. To listen to this episode ad-free and to watch our conversation in full in video, head to patreon.com forward slash The Emma Gunn Show now and become a patron. That's patreon.com forward slash The Emma Gunn Show to become a patron today. Welcome to another episode of The Emma Gunn Show. It is my intense delight and pleasure to welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Tracy Dennis-Tawari. Hello. Emma, it's amazing being with you. Thank you. It's so good because listeners will remember Tracy came on the podcast a few months ago and it was via Zoom. And we got on like a house on fire. We talked about Darth Vader. Yes. <laughs> whilst also talking about her incredible book, Future Tense, which is a real exploration into anxiety and mental health as a larger subject. And I did think this is someone I would get on with in real life. And you are about to witness uh, <laughs> the magic. <laughs> it's so, so good to have you back on the show. Thank you so much for Thank making you. time. So excited to speak with you and so fun. Now, we had what I thought was, for me, definitely as someone who has struggled with anxiety in the past, I found our conversation and also the insights from your book just so valuable and empowering on the topic of anxiety. But the subtitle of the book, it's Why Anxiety Isn't Good For You, is good for you even though it feels bad. Uh And Tracy, how's that been received? (laughs) Mixed. There's been mixed (laughs) reception on that, Emma. You know, it's um, it's meant to be a, a little controversial, that title, but but really also to drive home a point that if anxiety didn't feel bad, it wouldn't be doing its job. Mm-hmm. Because anxiety, like a lot of our emotions that, that stink, that feel terrible, that are they're all double-edged swords. Mm-hmm. And anxiety, it needs to feel bad because it makes us sit up and pay attention and to know, oh, hold on. And, and you know, anxiety isn't fear. So it's not that there's not a bear about to maul you right in this moment. That's that's fear because it's certain present threat. Yeah, yeah. Anxiety makes us into these time travelers into the future in our minds. And we're looking around the bend and saying, well, what's coming up? And, you know, I have a wonderful podcast interview coming up. And it could, I could, you know, it could be terrible. I could bomb it. Or it could be a wonderful conversation, which is what I expect. And anxiety primes us to deal with that uncertainty, to make the good outcomes happen, and to really manage uncertainty. So it's not something that evolved to choke us or to Mm. get in our way, Mm. but it's painful, it's difficult, and so it's like an ally. You have to negotiate with it. You have to work with it. You said something there, expectations, and I was re-listening to our episode on the way here today, and I actually wrote in capitals in my notebook, expectations. Mm Because I wonder, in unraveling my own issues with anxiety in the past, whether I expected life would feel a certain way when. Mm -hmm. And I thought that I would reach a plateau of great or a plateau of good or a plateau of calm. And then that would be the forever picture. Right. And that the anxiety came from the fact that why why is there still bad? Why is there still discomfort? Right. It's almost this binary, this robotic. And I mean, part of that is mental health professionals' fault because we've conveyed, okay, mental health and happiness, it's all or none. Mm-hmm. So if you're mentally healthy, it means the absence of emotional discomfort. You've reached this level of something yeah. that's unattainable. I think we women are also, everyone's prone to perfectionism, but I think women especially of this idea that it's 110% perfect or it's terrible. And so we start to weigh ourselves. It's We don't know when it's good enough or we don't know, mm. wait a second, it's not actually where I get. It's that in this process of getting there, there are these amazing things along the way. So I think you're so right. This, this expectation piece of it and how we prioritize and what we value and how we give value to ourselves, anxiety actually can help us do that better. Mm. It doesn't have to make it worse because because anxiety, you're only anxious when you care. Well, yes, you know, I, yes. And I said to you on our last conversation, that I realized that I look back at my dream job that I had for 10 years. Yeah. And I manufactured anxiety that I displayed in order for the people around me to know that I cared about my job. And I didn't need to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I've realized that with time and age and wisdom and whatever yeah. else <laughs> reflection. Yeah. But I wonder if um, we sort of alluded to the fact there may have been a wee bit of 
pushback to this idea that it's okay to have these feelings of anxiety, whether whether that's something that you've experienced in the pushback of people saying, well, no, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be, you should be anxious. That's, yeah. a, that's a good thing to, it shows that you care. We're all born anxious. Mm. And so the trick isn't to make it go away. The trick is to be anxious in the right way. Mm. But I think you're right. I think we, we're using it as a signal. And this is where the pushback has come, where, well, wait a second, I'm anxious. That means I'm struggling. It means I might be broken. It means there's something really not working in my life, and I, and I, I need support, and or I'm just t- showing you how hard I'm working, and and when we think of it that way, it's not that that's entirely wrong or bad, but we set ourselves up for a whole series of unhelpful things. So if we think about anxiety as a danger signal or the only way to prove that you're in it, and you start cultivating it. Or you you either cultivate it or you you run from it. Mm. So you start to you know what you know I kind of call it the three F's. You know you can say you feel it as dangerous, you flee from it, right? You fear it, like you you know you start to have this relationship mm. to, or you clutch it so closely to you that this is my identity. This is the reason why things don't work out. And there's no judgment from me, and in, in if someone is is choosing that or if that's something they're seeing in their life but it's just not going to work it's just not helpful and so the message of my book is really to say if you can open your mind just a little bit to anxiety maybe actually being something that you can use instead of be used by that you can leverage it Mm. you can listen to it as information as preparation and then leverage it you're just going to do more of the helpful things when it comes to coping with anxiety when it does get you really down when it really gets in the way Mm. And you're going to find possibilities in anxiety that you never even imagined. I, I wonder if when you left this job and chose to open another chapter in your life, if that wasn't in a way anxiety helping you make this move that you might never have considered before. Mm. Because yeah. it's, you know, because all of a sudden, well, if that's not working or I want to do something different or I'm having this experience, how do I pursue happiness and success and wellness in another way? Anxiety is kind of pointing you to those other possibilities. Well, that's the thing. It's almost as if you, what you were describing there a little bit is using anxiety as a scapegoat yeah. for not to do something or yeah. for the reason why something went wrong. And it removes, I'm very, I say this a lot on the show, but I don't like delegating accountability for one's life or removing yourself from it, one space or whatever. And it seems as though anxiety has kind of fallen into that space of, well, I'm anxious, so that's why that didn't work, or I'm anxious, so that's why I can't do yeah, that thing. That's right. So it, it's a, it's life limiting. If anyone's experienced anxiety, um, it is limiting in the moment, but it's even limiting as a concept. A hundred percent. It's, it's just getting in your way. So we don't. You can judge it as good or bad, or, you know, Tracy, you're full of it because you know uh, you don't understand. I have an anxiety disorder. But whether you have a disorder or it's just the day-to-day struggles we have, if you shift your focus to anxiety as being something, wait a second, it doesn't own me. It's actually part of the messy work of being human. Mm -hmm. It's a feature of being human. It's this double-edged sword. All of a sudden, you start realizing, okay, sometimes it's going to get in my way, but I can actually, I have the power and the ability and, and the innovation and the creativity to start working with this. And what if I could use it? What if, you know, um, when the pandemic shut everything down for everyone, mm. um, my husband, who's in uh, the entertainment industry, he had just launched a, sh- launched a show on Broadway um, called Jagged Little Pill. Um, and and uh, <laughs> With Alanis Morissette. Yes, with Alanis Morissette. And they told this, and it took 10 years to mount the show from, you know, soup to nuts and all the incredible creativity and all the incredible people working on this project. And within five months of launching, it was done because of the pandemic. Now, it was able to relaunch and it's on tour and it's doing things, but that was a pretty devastating blow. So it's very, at that moment, it makes a lot of sense to say, ah, this now I'm anxious, what next? You know, and to decide that maybe I wait, maybe I shut down. But he did something pretty incredible. And I don't want to brag about my husband, but but he he what he saw was that there were other possibilities. And he knew that, well, uh, and he's a producer, so but he's the kind of producer who tells stories. He gets amazing artists, musicians together with amazing writers and storytellers. And he saw, well, wait a second, I don't, I'm not limited to a certain platform. I don't have to just be on the stage. I've been doing these other TV and things like. That. What if I just become platform nimble? What if, you know, what if uh, I develop actually form a new company, you know, kind of create a different model, 
And now we can do the same amazing work, but our, we're expanded now. So rather than this incredibly, believe me, we were all, it wasn't like it was easy. You know, we weren't like, ha, 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 let's be anxious. You took a hit. It was a hit. Mm-hmm. We were, it was, it's a lucky people hit because we're very blessed in so many ways, but it was a hit. And, but what he was able to do was not just pivot, but was to expand what those possibilities were because anxiety let him center on what he actually loved about his job, let go of what wasn't needed. Mm. So it's a sort of alchemy. When we become, when we can ride this wave of anxiety, you know, we were talking about Hawaii before and that that is on the list for both of us. Um, You know, I'm sure that surfers could speak to this. Like you you could drown in, in a wave, but you can swim, you can surf, you can sail, but you have to get in it. Mm. And you have to build skills. And we don't think of anxiety as a skill building arena. We think of it as I have a disease or a, or a dysfunction. But actually, we're born anxious and we can learn the skills to be anxious in ways that serve us. And that's the message of the book, really. When I uh, first was diagnosed with severe anxiety, mm-hmm. I spoke to a friend of mine who is not a mental health professional, but made an observation from knowing me quite well for a long time. And her observation was, it's just as though you don't have any coping mechanisms. And trust me, that was really hard to hear. (laughs) Not one of my favorite moments, but actually one of the moments in my life where I think I actually did need to hear that. Wow. Mm -hmm. And that's what, when I then went into therapy and said, right, this is everything that is going on in my life. Actually, I realized that a lot of the reasons why I had reached a place where I did break down and I went to a therapist and I needed help Mm -hmm. putting myself back together is because everything that had happened to me up to that point, I hadn't coped with. It had almost just, everything was wounding. And it just meant that I had run out of energy to be able to live. I mean, that's an incredible experience to share because I think that's the heart of it for most of us. And, you know, I have not struggled. I I, want to be frank, too. I have not struggled with anxiety disorders, but I have struggled with clinical depression. Mm. And it's the same, that sort of owning that aspect of what's working for me and what's not. It Mm. doesn't mean that we have to think that we have a disease like cancer or COVID and we have to just eradicate all the things that are wrong with us. That's not how mental health most of the time Mm. for most of the struggles we have works. It's saying, what can I own? What can I control? What are the habits of thinking, of choosing, that are actually getting in my way? And I don't know if you feel bad about that, but any good therapist will tell you. Actually, when it comes to anxiety, they'll probably tell you a lot of what's in the book Mm -hmm. in the sense of this is a skill you can build. There are habits you can break. You can build new ones. And an anxiety disorder is only diagnosed when the ways we're coping with anxiety aren't working for us. Mm. It's not because we have anxiety. It's because what we're doing to cope is just not working. I think that's the thing. It's like anything that happened, you get a, an email from someone that you don't like the tone of, it, it's wounding or it sort of sets yeah. you back. And it's, and it's developing that mechanism of, no, um, I can deal with this. I don't like their tone, but I will go back with uh, a neutralizing one or whatever it might be. But then we get into what I think can be quite dodgy territory. And it's something that I have had pushed back in my own life when I've had this conversation. Because I don't want to say that having anxiety is a choice. Like I certainly never chose to be as anxious as I was and for it to limit my life in the way that I did. But in recovering and building the necessary mental gym that I needed, I did make choices about how I would react to things. So how, from your perspective, this idea of you can choose your way out of anxiety and even to an extent, I would say that I also use the same techniques and mechanisms with depression too. I, I love that you put it that way because when I think about the steps to making those choices and building those skills, they really are tiny steps. Mm-hmm. We, you know, again, we mental health professionals, it's become sort of this predatory, like the self-help world and the psycho- psychological world, not by intention, but because everything is a checklist. Mm-hmm. We have to do that. And then if you don't check 10 out of 10 boxes, uh-oh. You're not a good parent. You're not a healthy person. You're not. So it's this. And we forget that actually it's this one choice, one step at a time. And for me, and the reason, again, that I wrote the book is the first step that we have to correct is the mindset that we have. So the story that we're telling about anxiety, the beliefs we have, if we don't change those beliefs, nothing is going to work. Mm-hmm. Because the beliefs we have are that it's a, defun- it's a dysfunction, it's a disease, and it means that we're uh, damaged. And again, it primes us to do every, just automatically those unhelpful things. And it's really, it's avoidance. It's, it's that you fear it, you flee from it, um, and you, um, 
and you and you start to believe that you're not capable mm-hmm. of of rising to the occasion. So you're limiting yourself. You're putting yourself in the comfort zone all the time. And nothing great ever happened in the comfort zone. No, that's so true. It, it's life limiting, but that's actually a way I hadn't thought of it before. It's actually, you're just keeping yourself comfortable. And yeah. as you say, nothing nothing really comes from staying in the same place. Yeah, and not even, and nothing great, but even anything that's really nourishing or, or as tuned in because you're so busy doing this, these mechanics and these acrobatics of managing that pain and fearing that it will break you. Mm. But if you, and, and listen, so we do get knocked down. Sometimes you just have to crawl into bed and get up the next morning and hope for the best, you know. But, um, but if you have this thought that the only way through this is around, you, you've never, you can, the only way out is through. Mm-hmm. There is just no other way. So if that's the case, which I truly believe it is, if you can change this mindset then you'll start to make some different choices. You'll start to say in that moment, you get that really mean email mm-hmm. or um, you had that really huge disappointment. You, your, your, your toolkit gets larger and mm-hmm. all of a sudden you say, I don't just have to manage it or make it go away. Uh, so for example, you know, I know that um, all, the, all the kids got their results uh, for their exams today. Mm-hmm. And um, I also, my, uh, a wonderful friend, Matt Crosby and his daughter Fleur, I was with them just as they were getting these results. And... I just, I mean, we Americans just don't know what it's like to go to go through that, that the anxiety of that and the stress of that. But it's an incredible gift in some ways, too. Is it not the same in the States? Oh, no, nothing RSAT like this. RSAT results not? It's nothing like this. Okay. Because that's just, a, that's just a test. And they matter, but you can take them again. And it's not subjects. And it's not, it's not, and it doesn't determine what kind of program you can pursue at university. Mm. So none of those stakes are there. So, and it fascinates me that that this has not been, you know, it's not been squelched, the system. <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of, and here I am, this American saying, it's a great, it's not, I, I don't I think there's big problems with it, as I'm sure I, I, I'm not educated enough to know all the details of it. I can see there's serious problems. But one thing that was remarkable to hear everyone talk about, oh, yeah, when I took, I, I got, you know, I got A's, but I got C's and that, and I got, and and just to have gone through that, though, and come out very strong in many areas, mm. done it together as a community, kind of suffered through it together, you know, there's something, if your mindset about these exams and about your anxiety around them is one of, listen, I'm going to persevere, anxiety, yes, I have it, I'm going to persist because I know what I want. If I don't get the A's in that area I want, well, now I have new opportunities and options. Mm. Yes, some close down, but their anxiety helps you see that others have opened up because it's priming you. You know, when you're anxious, dopamine increases in your brain. Mm. What does dopamine do? It's Yes, it's the sex, drugs, and rock and roll uh, neurotransmitter, but more importantly, it's the neurotransmitter that floods our brain when we want to work towards something. It helps make our brain more efficient to make our dreams come true. So when we're anxious, it actually primes us. Mm. To if we're open to it, if we take that step back with this mindset and say, all right, I hate this. This is terrible. Let me take a breath and say, what is anxiety pointing me to? What purpose? What possibility? What potential? Mm. And when we do that, it might not fix everything. It probably won't. But it will help with some things. And it might open up a possibility, like it did for my husband, of something he just wouldn't have pursued otherwise. I'm just imagining that your husband just started like the the 2022 version of VH1 Storytellers. What you're saying? <laughs> oh, that's a really good idea. <laughs> Which, and I was watching VH1 behind the music on the way, on, but this yeah. morning, and I was like, I really missed this. So that's just. I mean, little... it's wonderful. Thank you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> make a little pitch on that. <laughs> but talking about exams and results, actually, the thing that as you were talking, I was thinking about is. I was really bad at school. I wanted to be a backing singer with Guns N' Roses, and that's what as I was many, focused as on. Most of us did. Yeah. But the route to get there from a small town in rural Kent, uh, I just couldn't figure it out. Mm. But I had, so I had years, I had a good six years before I even did my GCSEs and Mm. and A-levels where I was not working with the system. And that meant that there was this prolonged period of stress of knowing that Mm. I could never get my head around how to take exams. Some people are brilliant at doing Mm. interviews and some people are brilliant at taking exams. That's a skill in and of itself. And so when I eventually did, so I had that sort of burn, that really slow, horrible burn of stress for those years. Then I flunked my A-levels. But speaking to your dopamine, my English teacher, Mrs. Riddell, 
uh, God rest her soul, who was one of the most influential people in my life, uh, collared me. And when I say she, I loved her and I think she might have loved me. It was tough love. But she collared me and said, you drive down to the University of Kent. You drive down there now and you go and speak to the undergraduate admissions officer and you tell him, you tell him who you are. I'm like, okay. And would I have done that had I not been primed and like, I have to do something with all of this. Like it was a disappointment and huge anxiety about going home and saying, I'm not going to be able to get into university because I would have probably been one of the only ones. That's brutal, but it's brutal. It's Mm. brutal. But you did something with that. Mm. So it's this, uh, you know, again, it, it can point you to, well, it probably made you drill down into what really mattered to you. So you had to work in this system and it was not a good fit for you, right? But you had to navigate it mm. and decide to what degree do I need to, I need to be in the system and figure it out. You have social support, which is a huge part of anxiety. Mm. Because when we have that community, and, you know, that is one of the best ways to cope with anxiety. We, we think that sometimes we're anxious and we kind of shut down. And we do. Mm-hmm. But, but another kind of a nice biological aspect of anxiety is that also increases oxytocin in our blood, which is the social bonding, bonding hormone. So if we open ourselves a little bit when we're anxious, be a little curious about it, we also may see, yeah, I do want to reach out to my sister. I do want to reach out to my best friend, to that teacher who will support me. Mm. And, and it's always that social support because we're, we're social animals that usually allows us to draw on our most, most of our resources. Our brains are actually wired to outsource stress and, and to find that human connection so that yeah. we can, can work better. And so, you know, and then I think you have found this, incre- you have created something incredible. I was also hearing that you were really early to develop podcast, like to really lean in on podcasts. In the UK, yeah. In the yeah, UK. Yeah. That you, but, but that's a bold and, and a move that anxiety could have stopped if you took it as something that choked you. But here's this, okay, I'm building something new. And you saw this possibility of podcasts that probably a lot of other people didn't see. But I would argue that you were probably leaning in on that anxiety in a way that may- maybe you didn't think of it that way. I don't know, but... I like this. But, <laughs> because, because it could have been, okay, I'm doing this new thing. Should I just stay the course or should I do what everyone's doing or how do I... And you said, well, I, I have this other dream and how do I get there? Wait, there's this thing called podcasts. <laughs> you know? And yeah, maybe it's not the thing now, but you had this vision. So I think anxiety was probably a helpmate to you in those moments. Yes, it was just finessing my relationship with it as other things happened. But the way you were just describing it there made me think about, I think for a long time I wanted to be a follower. I wanted to be a sheep, I wanted to be included. Like everyone Mm. at school had DM boots, I wanted DM boots. (laughs) But I don't have the legs for them. So I had this real real urge to be part of the tribe, I guess. So if you want to take it down to a sort of basic thing. But then whenever I've got anywhere near close to this tribeness, I rebel and I go off in a completely different That's direction. Sorry to have made this a personal session, no, but you know, <laughs> she's flown over for this. Um, <laughs> But I do. But that's just the way you were just describing it made me think about that. Think about is there some sort of mechanism in me that actually anxiety isn't something I've overcome. It's something which I think is probably how I would have viewed it prior to this yeah. conversation. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's something I have exactly as you've described, and it's just taken a while to McFly. <laughs> that I have learned to um, listen to and to use as a, a real positive. You've leveraged it to purpose, mm. and maybe at those moments that you broke away from the tribe or maybe the herd, <laughs> you realize that you needed to pursue this purpose. You needed to do something different. And anxiety can help us do that. Whereas an observer might say that's pigheadedness, that's stupidity, that's sort of these things. And it's it's actually... People have accused me of that as well. <laughs> anxiety is my superpower. And they're like, actually, you're just very, very stubborn and obnoxious. <laughs> okay, well, where does stubborn come into it? Because stubborn is ah. something I've tried to bash out of myself. But that's, Oh, no, no, uh, don't a, do that. No. And especially as a woman, too, because, mm. you know, they don't, people don't like that. Mm-hmm. And they don't like us getting angry either. They get scared of us. Mm. But they probably should, honestly. Um... <laughs> Anxiety, um, re- re- because it's this focusing emotion, it's not fear, and it feels like fear, you know, mm-hmm. it's very immediate, but, but, but anxiety, because it's moving us to pursue goals, it, t- it doesn't necessarily broaden us in the moment, it does focus us. Mm-hmm. So when we're focused on this, this dream we want to make happen and averting disaster, it helps us pursue, uh, pursue goals even when obstacles are really being thrown our way. Mm-hmm. So that persistence and focus 
it's it's really necessary most of the time. And not only that, innovation. So there's great research to show when we're when we're um, anxious, we become more creative when a big when a big problem solving task is thrown our way. We think more outside the box. We actually have more innovative solutions in part because we're stubbornly persisting in problem solving. Mm. Because we want, listen, I mean, anxiety, because it's a negative, it's a sort of uh, the cycle, right, where you feel anxious, you want it to go away. And so you take action <laughs> to make it go away. Now that can be a vicious cycle. If you're, you know, you're feeling it as dangerous, you're, you're fleeing from it, you're fearing it, if you're doing those kind of three F's. But it becomes a very virtuous cycle mm. when we're using anxiety as information that we listen to and that we know we can leverage to a sense of purpose. And then we have to then know how to let it go. So yeah. it's this real alchemy and flexibility that you gain with anxiety that allows you to use it. Because that's making me think of uh, when one may have feelings of anxiety, it, the instinct to self-soothe. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure we can both talk about, we probably both have self-soothing behaviors that we probably wouldn't do in public, <laughs> probably wouldn't want other people to know about. <laughs> But equally, it can be the thing that can, for example, if I'm working from home, I've got a lot of work on, sometimes I can get so in it yeah. that I think, oh, I'm just going to lie down and have a, have a nap. And then when I wake up, I'll be invigorated. I've never woken <laughs> up from a nap and been invigorated. I've woken up from a nap and been grumpy and hungry and even more tired. Yeah. But if I say to you, I've got so much to do, but I've got a massive roadblock in my head, hmm. I'm going to go to the cinema. Now that might seem like I'm taking time off, but that is that is my pure escapism. I get to switch off for yeah. 90 minutes to yeah. 120 minutes and it frees up. It just allows everything, all the pages, the tabs to close and reload. I love that because, because right, you could call it an escapism, but w when I say that letting, we need to know when to let go, mm. you know, you, need, you, you listen to anxiety, you try to, you know, take action on it. If it's telling you I'm anxious about a test, you study more and then the anxiety goes down. You, But sometimes it's free floating. Mm. Sometimes we're still sorting out what it is. Sometimes it's something that really is, it's not going away and it's a long, as you were saying, this sort of long-term thing. Yeah. We need those skills to let go. And mm. the letting go are things, the, the most helpful things are things that help us think in these sort of adjacent different ways. Mm. I like to write poetry, and it is very bad poetry most of the time. <laughs> but like, and I do love to like binge my, my, my streaming uh, services. But um, again, it helps you think in this kind of let go of whatever little mind not is there. So if that's a movie for you, that's great. For some people, it's exercise. I wish I was more of that person. Mm -hmm. That would be handy. Um, <laughs> You know, for, but but find something that lets you find the flow, mm -hmm. think in a different way, and those are another set of skills to let go. So I really don't mean to suggest just white knuckle it through anxiety all the time and just hype yourself up. Mm -hmm. It's again, it's this, it's a flexibility. Um, and so at each point of listening to it, leveraging it, letting go, you can build skills in each of those bins. You know, each of those areas, and mm -hmm. that's the task of being human. Yeah, and I think as well, it's this idea of which we've obviously a covering is the fact that anxiety isn't a failure. And I think one of the phrases that you used last time was we can perceive, we can see it as a failure to happiness or a failure. Mm. Yeah. A failure to be happy. Yeah. And that's not, and then you're accurate. screwed. You feel like then I'm screwed. I failed at this. Mm. I mean, hap happiness actually has nothing to do with being happy all the time. Mm -hmm. Most, I mean, I think we know that intuitively and I think psychologists and scientists have sort of come around to that too. There's no way to sustain this constant. Ha Americans are the worst because we're always smiling and we have to be happy and we have to, you know, <laughs> it's very, and it just is, it, 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 it is a blocker. It's an opportunity cost in actually mm. seeing, you know, sometimes having a good cry is what it means to be happy. Sometimes, you know, um, going into, you know, there's a great study um, that, uh, that came out of, uh, I think it was in 2000, I want to say 2008, um, uh, out of Harvard, where they took folks who were socially anxious, um, clinically socially anxious. So, you know, when you really don't feel you can leave the house or you're mm -hmm. so um, frightened of judgment and humiliation, and it really blocks people. It's a, mm. it's, it's a disease, it's an anxiety disorder. But they brought them in and had them do kryptonite, this kryptonite task for them, which was to give an impromptu public speech. And a lot of people would believe if you're socially anxious, well, I mean, I'm going to start panicking. I'm going to have a panic attack. I'm going to fail. 
I'm going to be humiliated. There was a panel of judges who were about to judge them on this public speech, which is just really, it's really, for all of us, it's hard. I'm feeling like yeah, my yeah, heart I'm already racing. feeling about Honda Nicole. <laughs> but, and, but, all, but, but what this study showed is that, they, so they, that if you can change your mindset, even if you're clinically anxious about this challenge and your reaction to it, a lot can change. So they taught these folks in just 10 or 15 minutes. They said, your heart's going to start racing. You're going to sweat. You might feel faint. You're going to feel these things. But, you know, that's not you getting ready to fail or to panic. That's your body and mind preparing to act, to mm. go into, like, high gear. So your heart is beating because it's sending oxygen to your brain so you can concentrate. You're, and, you know, they just sort of laid out, laid out the science a little bit. They talked about how Darwin had written about emotions as, as, as adapt. It was actually the third book in his trilogy on, mm -hmm. on, on, um, on evolutionary theory. It was called the, the Expression of Emotion in Man and Animals. Yeah, it was all about emotion. A third of his series about emotions and how adaptive they are, especially anger, fear, mm. you know, rage, uh, sadness. But so, so anyway, they were like me. These psychologists were like me and like boring people with these scientific facts. But they taught them these ideas for just 10 or 15 minutes. And then they had them go and do the speech. And the, another group of people they didn't teach to, to change their mindset. Those folks who did the speech then, their heart rates were slower. They did better through objective like measurements, like mm. you would grade them on their performance, on their speech, um, and their blood pressure was lower. So their bodies actually looked like people not who were panicking, but who were primed to perform at their best. Mm. Just by, and these were folks who were really struggling with anxiety in their lives, and they were able to do this. We can build those skills every day when we go into a challenge and say, all right, I'm feeling, I'm about to come talk with Emma. I love Emma, but I'm feeling a little nervous. I mean, I'm drinking my water. I'm getting, you know, but you can say, but well, that means I'm ready to have a great mm -hmm. conversation with Emma. That means I'm excited. I'm nerve excited. <laughs> that means, and it doesn't fix everything, but it will get better every time you do that. You will build those skills like any other kind of skill. Support for this podcast comes from my Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash The Emma Gunn Show. This podcast is what I do. It's my job. It's how I earn a living. And with Patreon and your support as patrons, I can put the time required into research, booking guests, paying for editing and production, booking and paying for studios, and much more that goes into creating episodes of the show. Your support as patrons allows me to create a show for you that's informative, inspiring, educational, and entertaining with guests who'll add value to your lives. Thank you to everyone who's already become a patron of this podcast. I appreciate it so much. I've never asked for you to pay for the show in the six and a half years I've been making it. And all I'm asking now for ad-free audio and some video episodes of the podcast is £3 a month. That's just £3 a month, less than a magazine and most cups of coffee. And the more patrons there are, the more bonus content I'll be able to create. So become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash The Emma Gunn Show. It really makes me think about the importance of vocabulary. Mm. And I think that was one of the things that I really learned to change. I previously had used very negative, very down vocabulary. I'm not even sure why or how I developed that, but it was definitely, I think, some sort of protective mechanism. If I was speaking that way, then I couldn't, I had no business expecting mm. good good or mm. things to go well, maybe. Yeah, it was that sort of weird trade-off that I was making. And then I committed to changing my vocabulary. And as you mm. say, nervous went to excited or yeah. any of those things. And again, it was something that we touched on in the last episode. But I was thinking about uh, a conversation I had with Chris Voss, who's the FBI negotiator. Mm. And one of the skills that he uses in his negotiation training is labeling emotion. When mm -hmm. you're negotiating with somebody, if we were having a tense conversation and not in a patronizing way, but I would say, Tracy, it seems like you're upset about this right <laughs> that's so hard not to be patronizing when you say that. that's right yeah that's my best Chris Boss impression <laughs> seems like you're upset about this um he's got, he's got the most incredible voice as well which really helps yeah. but it's just labeling it and then yeah. leaving it and sitting back and then letting the conversation it's go that from there. space it's that space and when you label too when we have feelings especially anxiety it it's not always easy to know exactly what it is. It's just yucky. Mm. Or it's this free-floating stuff, right? So labeling it is such a powerful first step. It gives you that space. It, um, what you name it opens up completely different options that come after. So right, if you're excited, that opens up all sorts of different next steps, decision trees, possibility, than if, oh, I'm about to, you know, I'm panicking. 
Mm. I had someone say to me once, it was one of the most beautiful, actually, uh, with talking about this book and getting out there, one of the most beautiful, inspiring things anyone has said. She said, you know, I've always, um, not always, I've never thought of myself as an anxious person until the past few years. And then I started labeling myself as that. And it just didn't fit who I was. And what I realize now from what you're saying is that I'm not a person who struggles with anxiety. I'm a person who struggles with hope. Because anxiety, the flip side of anxiety is hope. Mm. It's about future possibilities, bad and good. Mm. And once you, once you shift from saying, I'm not struggling with, you know, about to have a breakdown. I'm struggling with all the things I'm hoping for and striving for and wanting in my life. All, it changes everything. That's such an incredible reframe that it's almost like it's like a factory reboot, isn't it? Just like it feels like it. And when she said it was a reboot for me, because you know I talked about hope and I, you know, but for someone to say to struggle with hope, so now that language is even more interesting because mm. it's not just the positive; it's that you're struggling with it, and that it's okay to struggle with it. And maybe emotions aren't this state, as you said, like oh, you're happy and you get to there or you don't. It's not static. Mm. emotions are dynamic they're changing you know it's never forever so you know you, uh, someone might come to you say oh I'm feeling really sad and you're like sadness isn't forever same goes for happiness sister you know the same goes for everything and we just feel I think we just don't feel we have resilience anymore or that I f- or that we need that language of trauma mm. to explain the pain of what we're going through and to get really important mental health conversations happening but we don't need to have the language of trauma to have better and more conversations about mental health. I think that's blocking it in the end. Agreed. And I think in recent years where we've become so much more open in our discussions of mental health, we have way more vocabulary than we've ever had before. We, we had the umbrella term of stress. How are you feeling? I'm stressed. Everyone used to say that. Everyone. Mm-hmm. Now it'll be so much more granular. And it means that we've got more, more room to play with. Yeah. And why, tra- why have the language of trauma being the, the room we play with? Mm-hmm. I mean, why not have it be the language of challenge, of joy, of excitement, of possibility? It, it's just a flip to switch. Mm-hmm. And again, we should acknowledge our, our pain. We should acknowledge when we're anxious. We should seek help with a psychologist, with a psychiatrist. But it, it does not mean that everything we do from here on out is what a broken person is doing. It yeah. actually means, oh, now you're doing that messy work, that great work of what it actually takes to, to find the kind of, really, a, the art of living. Again, the vocabulary piece is so important, isn't it? And even if someone's listening to this and they think, well, I do struggle with anxiety, I get nervous about this, or I feel like I'm on low-grade anxiety at all yeah. times because I'm always anticipating yeah. something from my boss or something from my partner or what have you, it's, it's that... Well, if you can in any way just flip some of the words that you're using flip to describe the words, that. own it, because it's going to own you. What you don't own owns you. That's like a truism. Mm. Own it. You can say it's low grade, it's too much, it's draining. Yes. Own it. See if there's anything useful in it. And, mm. and it's, anxiety is most useful to us when we hitch it to a sense of purpose. Something greater than ourselves. Now, that doesn't mean we have to be Mother Teresa or that we have to have a great mission in life. It's just some, what gives your life flavor. Mm. meaning, uh, joy. It's like, you know, you can Marie Kondoize your life. Like, what is sparking joy? And I, I, you know, who, can, who does not love Marie Kondo? But, um, but, but it's the same psychologically. Like, what are the choices or the things we're doing or what, what are ugly feelings? They feel ugly, right? There are yucky feelings are telling us that can lead us to something that's going to spark a little bit more joy. Mm. That's purpose. Is there something a little bit addictive, might be the wrong word, but seductive mm. might be in the better neighborhood. Yeah, that's better. Yeah, I, I like where yeah. you're going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> About anxious feelings and negative emotions. Because yeah. if you speak to, uh, well, certainly in my experience, and I guess speaking to friends of mine, we will always use the term spiral. It's a fascinating thing. Yes. Mm. It is the word now, right? Mm. You know, there, 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 are, um, there, there are discussions out there about anxiety as like a bad habit uh, or as a spiral, right? But mm. the truth is there are two, type of cy- cycles, two types of cycles in anxiety. One is a vicious cycle and one is a virtuous cycle. Mm. And so, yes, it's spiraling, but you can spiral up or you can spiral down. So the, vir- the vicious cycle is sort of what I described with those three Fs. You, you feel anxiety in your body and your mind mm-hmm. as dangerous. So you flee from it. You avoid it. 
And you, that always makes anxiety worse, right? Um, and when you, when you flee fear and, and flee, um, what you're doing is you're, first of all, you're, you're, it's, it's like an opportunity cost. You're, you're losing the opportunity to gain skills. And avoidance always makes anxiety worse. It's mm. like, you know, it's always what you suppress comes back stronger. That's the cycle that they're talking about. That's the spiraling. Mm. But we can disrupt that. And, we, and shifting a mindset and language is the way to do it. So mm. you disrupt that cycle. You take a step back from one and say, okay, what if I instead listened, right, instead of felt it was dangerous? And what if I leveraged whatever information and preparation anxiety mm. gives me? So if anxiety really can make us more persistent and innovative, and tell us what we care about in life, why aren't we effing using that emotion? Why are we just trying to soothe it all the time? Like, oh, Emma, you're anxious. Can I just give you a couple? Pat me on the head. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes, sometimes. Listen, I need a pat on the head once in a while. But hey. if that's our default response every single time, we're not seeing that we're still powerhouses, even when we feel, like, really exhausted. Mm. We're not seeing that... I can do something with this. So, I, I, and so then the cycle becomes you, you listen, you leverage, and then you let go. Don't start with letting go. Don't start with suppressing. Yeah. Let yourself journey through it a bit. Yeah. I think one of the things that I took away from our last conversation is that I'm a fantasist, but in a good way. Um, Keanu Reeves speeches. Oh, come on. You can't go wrong. You can't go wrong with that. And like, I've had some very, like, they felt real. <laughs> 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 daydreams about those situations so um and no judgment here from anyone who may have had the same thing and I feel very comfortable telling you that um but one of the things I took away from our last conversation is that if I didn't that ability to <laughs> see into the future <laughs> with it's a wonderful dream <laughs> a parallel reality <laughs> um is a skill that is also goes hand in hand with those feelings of anxiety because yes. it's the future gazing. So in a way, it made me think, well, I'm really glad that I have the propensity to be highly anxious. <laughs> and like, Keanu and I have had some really amazing moments. <laughs> it's so beautiful. I mean, really, that's why, you know, I sometimes talk about anxiety as this triumph of human evolution. It is because of that imaginative ability, because that is human. Mm. To really simulate and imagine this beautiful life with Keanu mm -hmm. in the future, only humans do that as far, as far as we know. With that degree of granularity and exquisite detail. Yeah, exquisite. Yeah, I'm on the back oh, of his so bike. Exquisite. Oh, so exquisite. Um, um, and so anxiety lives in that space because anxiety is what's priming us to say, okay, in that, de that detailed future I'm imagining, there is some disaster that could happen. Mm -hmm. But here's where I want it to go. Here's mm -hmm. the dream I want. And so, so what it's doing is it's helping you with vividness. It's making you, you have to feel bad because yeah. you have to sit up and pay attention. It's like that smoke alarm. Okay, something might be happening. We don't ignore smoke alarms. We don't just disconnect. Well, maybe we disconnect them after we've checked the house. But we check the house first. We check the that broom. there's a battery. <laughs> like, but that comes after. We make sure that the house isn't on fire. But anxiety is that way, too. Mm. So it, it, it helps us use this incredible, beautiful, imaginative ability. to, And it, it lives in that space. Creativity lives in that space. Well, and this is what I was coming back to. I got slightly taken, of course, by Keanu. <laughs> I know. We were like, <laughs> but it's Where's the, that water? <laughs> it's the creativity aspect of it. And it's also this yeah. thing of like imagining what's possible. I was chatting to someone the other day and I said, sometimes I think one of the things that I do to myself that sometimes works against me is that I dream big. Mm. And as soon as it's a thought in my head, I think, well, then it could be possible. And if someone else is living that reality, I think, well, I know for sure it's definitely possible. Yeah. And then I will live in that space where, well, I, w I want it to happen then. Yeah. What do I need to do to make it happen? Yeah. So dreams, <laughs> having big dreams is yeah. a great thing. Yeah. But, it can off but it can also make you feel like you're a failure at times if you're not getting to this destination. It can. But if you can deal with that pain of failure, what happens is you say, well, you become an excellenceist instead of a perfectionist. And an excellenceist mm. knows that perfect doesn't exist. And it's actually, it's a monkey on your back. Like you mm. cannot, like it is punishing. It will always knock you down. There's no way to meet those standards for any real sustained period of time. An excellencist is one, like Thomas Edison, the inventor was an excellencist because he said, I, um, I haven't failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that don't work yet. Yes. Right. And so if you can deal with that pain of failure, you can see, wait, I can be excellent when I fail because I can learn from it. Again, you can own it. 
mm-hmm. and say, well, I really bombed that one or I sucked on that one. But there's some piece of this that tells me what I need to do better or some piece where actually I did shine there. Mm-hmm. And you take it as information and it will take you to the next level. But if we reject our failures, if we don't live in them and kind of, you know, cuddle up with them a little bit sometimes, it's, it's again, we're missing out mm-hmm. on something that could transform our life. One of the best bits of business advice I've ever been given was someone who said to me, never take business advice from someone who hasn't failed. It's, it, that's perfection. Yeah, that's right. That's, I mean, that's right. And, uh, you know, it's funny when, when I was writing Future Tense, um, I got the book deal just before the pandemic hit. I mean, three or four weeks. We were still hugging and people were starting to wear masks and we're like, ah, oh, whatever. pandemic, pandemic, pandemic. You know, we were, and then <laughs> two weeks later, but, you know, the deal went through. And I'm, so I'm writing the book in the pandemic. And I, you know, I'd never written a popular book. I'm like a, fu- you know, a fuddy-duddy scientist. So I just write these like these peer-reviewed scientific articles. But I'm writing and, and my publisher gave me a little feedback in the beginning saying, okay, good, you know, keep going. Everything was falling apart. No one gave me feedback. I just kept going. And I wrote chapter one and chapter two and chapter two. I wrote ch- six chapters. And then I finally got it to the publisher and, and they gave me feedback and said, this is terrible. <laughs> this is absolutely horrible. And you need to um, get some outside editorial help, and you need this, and you need that. So, of course, the anxiety for me mm-hmm. went through the absolute freaking roof. Um, but, I, you know, I, I cried a little. I did whatever. I got angry. I did, I did all the thing. I felt all the feels. And then I said, okay, let, I want this. This is what really matters to me. And I've never written a book. Mm-hmm. I might suck at it. I actually think I have something to say. Yes. I'm just going to, so, so I did what I had to do. I, I, we, uh, I went back to my, I have literary agents. They connected me with the best editor on the planet, Bill Tonelli, who's a fellow uh, Italian-American. Like, he's like my uncle. He's like every Italian-American uncle I've ever had. And so brilliant. And he said to me, Tracy, I'm, I'm of course, this is the opposite. He's like, I'm moderately intelligent, and I know nothing about this topic. Let's throw out everything you wrote. Start with a blank page. Tell me. Tell me the story Mm. and through that and we had three weeks per chapter with a blank page and when I tell you that it's a hundred times better because of that relationship Mm. with Bill and 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 honestly my I think because my openness to fail (laughs) and to to have enough faith in myself and to know that perfect wasn't the goal but that I can step by step keep it's a hundred times better than it ever would have been and it also wasn't just on you it didn't have community. to be. Yeah. And Bill still, he just sent me an article the other day. It was actually from the Financial Times, an educator who wrote about the exams and exam anxiety. Mm-hmm. He's like, Tracy. <laughs> he wrote at the top and mailed it to me. And he'll text me. He's like, oh, you were owning anxiety in this. I mean, he's amazing. He's, he's like my father confessor slash consigliere slash, you know, editor. <laughs> has to be Italian-American. <laughs> has to be a consigliere. <laughs> but, but that is what anxiety brought me, those mm. gifts. And I think uh, hopefully a better book that can speak to more people because I was able to do better. Mm. It's, the, it's the leaning into the failure aspect. And I guess the, the criticism as well. Oh, yeah. What piece does that fit into the... Being puzzle? a scientist helps with that because it's constant and, you know, kind of unrelenting criticism. Mm. But we know... Well, we serve hopefully something greater than ourselves, which is knowledge and science. Mm. And we know that that's the only way. So peer review is by definition brutal. So they'll tear it apart. Like you can't, I mean, you can't get a grant without going through a brutal, a brutalizing process of, well, this method is flawed. And what do you mean here? And this doesn't make sense. And you didn't cite this and you didn't. And you've written a, you know, a hundred page grant or you have a scientific paper where there is, yeah. And, and, and scientists get very good at being brutal, but in very kind of uber intellectual, like, you know, kind of polite ways. That's and- a weird thing, isn't it? It's like you go through it and then you get to the position where you're doing it to someone else. A lot of people are kind. You always know a grad student, though, because they have to prove themselves. And so they're extra nitpicking and nasty. And you just say, oh, God, another grad student. Sorry to you, grad student. <laughs> I have wonderful grad students who would never do such a thing. Um, but but right. So but but it's brutalizing. But that was a wonderful gift for me mm-hmm. because, again, I think a lot we scientists have to learn. You have to take it. You have to know the value and maybe what's not valuable and take it to make what you're doing stronger and it always makes it stronger almost always mm. it will make it stronger are we um coddling a little bit too much in modern culture this is sort of a much bigger question about the failure aspect of it because you is, get your yeah. participation medals i talked about exams 
at school. I was one of the stupid ones. I was also <laughs> not sporty. So I was very good at coming last in the swimming, the running, the whatever. <laughs> so I never so I never had a win. I never had a win. It's like the whole of my school years, I never had a win. I actually said to a teacher at my school at prize giving, could you just find like some <laughs> dinged up old cup in the attic and just give it to me? Just <sighs> Just to prove I was here, and they did, and it hadn't even been polished. It was just, it, and I don't even know what I did with it. But the point is, I at the time that felt really harsh. I felt invisible. I felt quite worthless. That's, I internalized yeah, it. Yeah. But I was also told I could never make it as a journalist because I was stupid. I couldn't get the grades. Yeah. No, they didn't tell me I was stupid. I told me I couldn't get the grades. They did also tell me that I couldn't be a backing singer with Guns and Roses. But we'll we'll talk about that's that. Another, that's another. That's another. Yeah. But I. But <laughs> would I have? been as tenacious as I have been with my media career had I not felt like I was fighting against something. No. Kid, can you swear on this podcast? Yes. Fuck them, number one. <laughs> and it was your ability to say that, right, that I think has led to something that you would never dream that a non-smart, like non, you know, you are the last person in the planet that I would peg as, oh, she's not smart, she's not this, she's not that. Now, I don't think that, I think that good education finds wins for everyone mm. and just lets them know it doesn't have to be first place. Yes. That's what it is. So, so this, but, but we're always on this spectrum where we coddle or we're like, ah, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. And mm -hmm. it's so hard to be in the nuanced, messy middle. Mm. But that's where we have to be when it comes to this stuff. I think we, um, you know, one point that this, it was a great article in the Financial Times that Bill sent me, um, a point that the educator made was that, listen, um, you know, kids need support. Anxiety disorders are real. But if if when they're struggling, we say, oh, they've been through the pandemic. They've been through so much. Let's just let them not come to school for a week. That is also not the answer. Mm -hmm. And having this more discussions about mental health does not mean they're the right discussions. And so we, again, we have, but we have to draw back mm -hmm. from this because we wanted, for decades, we wanted more discussions about mental health. Yeah. You know what I mean? We wanted more awareness and comfort and now everyone says, well, you got what you wanted. You, you know, you got it. But, but, the, but the problem is, is that if the, if the language, if the discussions are that, oh, they have trauma because they went through pandemic and they're, therefore they're anxious and therefore they're broken, they shouldn't mm -hmm. be made to go to school. There's no win in that for anyone. You are so right. And I'm thinking about every single news feature I've watched or read about the mental health crisis. And I have also had people on the show talk about the mental health crisis from the pandemic being the second pandemic. And I have and I've heard about all the trauma that these poor kids and I must admit, being a teenager going yeah. through those two years. Oh, must have it, been, it, yeah. Like, I mean, it's horrendous. Terrible. It's horrendous. However, I've never heard anyone say these this generation might be the most mentally strong generation that we've ever produced. I think that's actually result. true. I think that's actually true. If we stop coddling them and telling them they're broken, because we're mm -hmm. always maligning them. We're like, oh, you're screen addicted. Mm -hmm. you're, you're too emotional or you're too this, you're too that. I think if we just give them a chance to actually confront these incredibly difficult, uns the uncertainty they're facing in the world that we have handed them, P.S., mm -hmm. this crappy, crappy like situation... Um, if we take a minute to tell them, no, actually, you're, you don't have to be shaken by these things in the world around you. you I had this wonderful young woman that, I, that I've been uh, starting to collaborate with, uh, Anastasia Vlasova, her name is actually. She um, is very um, active in the digital wellness community. She can't be 20 years old yet. I know. She's, she's like, a, I don't know, a sophomore or junior at NYU. She's amazing. And we were talking about kind of her, gen, you know, kind of being, you know, I'm a Gen Xer, and we were having one of those generational talks. She said, I just think my, my peers believe that they're, they're going to be broken by this really difficult world around them, that they will be batted around and, mm -hmm. and knocked down. She said, I feel that way sometimes, but I know that I can't be shaken who I am fundamentally. And I just don't think my peers are always helped to believe that mm -hmm. or have come to believe that. She wasn't laying blame anywhere. She's, you know, and, she, and she's like, so I just know I can't be shaken. And I just need to take that forward and do the things I need to do in life. I think they're going to save the planet. I mean, I think they, if we stop hating on them constantly. Mm -hmm. And part of that, I think, stop hating on them is, is not painting them with this brush of fragility. Because they are not fragile. Mm -hmm. 
They're anti-fragile. They grow stronger with adversity. They need support. And yes, you sometimes need to see a psychologist. Like, I think any, everyone could benefit from that. Yes, people have anxiety disorders. They are real. Yes, they have clinical depression. But there's not a but after that. There's an and. And mm. we can support them through that. And they're not broken. And they're, they, we can, they can build skills. But if we are constantly telling them that they have embedded trauma, that they are going to oh. have to somehow work through, they're not going to reach their potential, no, which is the story. Not. Yeah, And that's the whole thing. cancel culture debate, too. Like, oh, they need to be protected from uncomfortable ideas. It's not helpful. Mm. 99% of the time. Hate speech, yes. Bigotry, yes. But uncomfortable discussions and feelings. I mean, the original safe spaces that the father of social psychology, Kurt Lewin, developed were, um, were, were started after World War II to deal with racism and anti-Semitism in the workplace. And what he created as a, was a format in which people could have not easy conversations or safe conversations, but like emotionally intense conversations. So you would come and say, I am a white woman and I'm a boss and I think that the men that work for me are stupid. <laughs> and I know that's bigoted and I shouldn't feel this way, but it's actually something I'm struggling with. I want to change. Mm -hmm. And so she would not be canceled. She would not be, you know, she'd be critiqued, but she wouldn't be criticized. And people would come in a safe space to work with her to work through that and make things better. Mm -hmm. If she didn't feel that she could say that, if she didn't, if they didn't have a raw emotional conversation that was painful and really, really messy, they would not have been able to then get her and get the community to a place where they can make better decisions about how things worked in the mm -hmm. workplace or how hires were made or whatever. You have to have that that difficult conversation. The safe ones aren't going to take us there. Difficult conversations. Now, I know that our time together is drawing to a close, but I want to ask you about something that is a few, about 15 years ago, mm. I was making a decision about whether to move into a, an apartment. And it was a big decision. And I remember at the time, I was lingering in this point of, do I stay where I am? Do I move into this apartment? Do I move area? All of these things. And I was on a shoot. And the photographer said to me, he's like, do you know what you're doing? You're staying in the most uncomfortable place that you could stay <laughs> mentally when it comes to the situation that you're wow. in because you're at a crossroads. Wow. And instead of choosing which direction you want to go in, mm -hmm. you are staying with all four options just shouting at you um, at I wonder times. if he saw it in your body too which is why I laughed a little bit I, I wonder if he, he just detected to it shut up I think he was just over. oh you were talking yeah, about like, yeah just like talking 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 I think he was just like for the love of Mike just make a decision just so I can get on with my job but I do after he said that to me I did take it on board and I did think actually when one has to make a decision mm -hmm. the most uncomfortable part of that decision is the not making it yeah. And then as yeah. you, when you make it, you can move forward with purpose and all of the things that yeah. we've described anxiety can do. You can yeah. still take the anxiety with you, but it's on the journey with you. For anyone who's listening to this, who may feel as though they're at a crossroads in their life yeah. or may feel that they want to make a decision. Is there any sage advice you can give about what to do in that moment when you yeah. have almost too much choice? Yeah, I love that example. So much of this is, is about actually letting, you know, knowing what to let go of. Mm. Right. And... Anxiety, again, it feels bad because it is priming us to do something. So often when we take, you know, so you have four choices ahead of you, right? It's extremely uncomfortable. It's uncertain. You're mm -hmm. anxious. The minute you, it, it, oh, someone once told me, um, draw, draw, if you had four choices, draw, draw the four uh, possibilities out of a hat. Mm -hmm. And then how do you feel when you choose that one? Mm -hmm. This is your gut. This is anxiety. This, so your gut instinct is the same as anxiety. It's telling you. Okay, this, this, this feels like this is on the right track. Oh, my anxiety, the feeling, the bad feeling goes down. It becomes more excited. It, so if you knew that, you know, they're really, ah, there are two apartments that are probably the best choice. The minute you narrowed it down that, if you saw your anxiety go down, oh, okay, mm -hmm. I am on the right track. That's it. And, and then as you're choosing one and you're thinking all the things that are going to close down for me, all the possibilities, shift and say, well, what, if I choose this other one, what are the things that will open up? So again, it's just this mirror image. Mm -hmm of what's actually causing you suffering is it could also cause you that anticipation and that excitement. So I think that's one thing. Know that that energy needs to go somewhere. So action is the best possibility. Choose a virtuous loop and spiral instead of the, uh, instead of the vicious one. Mm -hmm. 
and know and know that I think that you know I, it's funny you bring up apartments. I just uh, we just rented or we're about to rent, hopefully about to rent, apartment in Manhattan, and um, we actually had a, a situation where the owner of the apartment we were about to rent. This was just two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago. It turns out um, she's a felon. Um, unbeknownst to us, uh, when she came back to the States to deal with my obsessive compulsive checklist, actually, my punch list. <laughs> I, I brought it, it should be like a, like a true crime podcast, How Anxiety Caught a Criminal. Um, they literally greeted her at the airport with handcuffs. It was like, Only murders in the amygdala. <laughs> By the way, we haven't been able to watch the finale because we can't get it to stream here. What? I, I mean, oh, yeah, so, you can use oh. my login. I'll give you my login. Oh, my God. This. Thank you. <laughs> so but but so so everything's blown out of the water. There's no inventory left in all of Manhattan. Believe me. And but things I, it's like I had to do something. And we found, you know, we, we hustled. We found, you know, we kind of lucked out and found this amazing place that's going to be better than anything. When I walked in the anxiety, it, it, it sh and then I realized that the anxiety that my husband had been having about that first place we were mm -hmm. going to rent, I was pushing it through. He's like, something's not right about this. Now, I don't know if he was psychic. I don't know if that there was a there was a hidden bedroom behind a bookcase in that other apartment. That's a red <laughs> flag, Tracy. We, we thought it was charming. <laughs> was it wiped down? Like, what? <laughs> I swear to God. We're like, this is such a quirky house. My husband. It was like he was listening to something, but, but the minute that it started falling through, my husband actually his anxiety went. You know, my anxiety went up, and it spurred me to action. I found the new place. His anxiety went down. Mm. It's this information. It's this, and, and as soon as we start playing with it a little, being mm. a little more, having a little more humor, a little more hope. Yes, it sucks, but we can also not. Have, I'm not saying have fun with anxiety. No one wants to be anxious, but if we can be more playful in the best sense of the wor world, and it, sorry, word. Meaning, I can play, I can create, I can do something with this. Mm -hmm. I think when we feel stuck, that's the best way to approach. Yeah, and I think also with anxiety, I've definitely done this where I've just removed myself from a situation. Mm. Yeah. But that's avoidant. That's not going not to... Not always. Mm. No, I had a really good friend who was in this new job. It was a startup. It was very, you know, hairy, scary, hustle, bustle, like startups are. And she wanted to try it. She thought it would be a good fit for her. Every day she went in, she had this like sick feeling in her stomach. The heart was racing. It was, a, and and you know, at first she's like, maybe it's new, maybe it's. A, but she realized pretty soon that you know what, this is actually. It's not just that I'm anxious. It's my gut telling me this is a poor fit for me. Mm. And the minute, so so she gave it a go. She really engaged with it, and she realized, wait a second, it's X Y Z that's not working for me. I'm actually a person who doesn't want there to be a new thing thrown at me every day and new priorities. And, and I'm a person, and she sort of realized some things about herself because she tuned into it. And then in not of an avoidant way, but in a choiceful way, she realized, I need to find another position. And she was able to. She found a job that was 20 times better. And so, it, again, it's that art of knowing when, when, is it avo when do we know that we're fleeing from it mm -hmm. and when do we know we're letting go of something? You know, when do we know we've listened, we've leveraged, now it's time to let go. But again, these are skills. You're not going. This is something that we can all learn to do. It's the art. There is a right way to be anxious. Mm -hmm. There is an art to living, and there we can. A, there, and we can practice it. There's a right way to be anxious, and we can practice it. And I do think as well. My my real visceral takeaway today is just change the vocabulary every time. Yeah. Like if something's making me feel anxious now, I'm going to really reframe it and put a jolly word. Against just see it. what happens. It might not work. <laughs> <laughs> but it's more empowering to do that than to say than to assume this means what something bad. What if it bad. works fifty percent of the time? You're mm -hmm. already, you're ahead of the game. What if it what if it works sixty five percent of the time? You're crushing it. Yeah, and it's worth an exper experiment. Be a little curious. Be a little bit of a scientist. Yeah, <laughs> this has been so wonderful. I oh, knew it was going to be fantastic you, to speak to you and so see you pleasure. in the flesh. It's so so nice. much fun. So much more fun. Um, I, you must come back again. Oh, please. We'll do it. We'll just, you're just going to be a regular now. Oh, I'd love Because that. this is just Oh, so you better helpful. be careful. I mean. <laughs> It'll happen. It'll happen. Um, the link to the book, which is here, looks like this. Next time you go into a bookshop or you're looking online, is available now. It is so brilliant, so helpful. If you think this conversation has been helpful, my goodness, getting to actually read every page oh. of this book and have it in your home and dip into it when you need it. <laughs> Thank you for it's your joyous. support. It really means a lot. Thank you. <laughs> the links to your social media will be in the show notes, yes. but it's been such a pleasure to speak to you again. Thanks and again, this won't be the last time. <laughs> no. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for listening. Why not become a patron of The Emma Gunn Show today? For just £3 a month, you can enjoy episodes of the podcast ad-free and in video. That's just £3 less than a cup of coffee for a whole month of the show. Your support means I can keep creating the podcast and also invest in production and creation of bonus content for you to enjoy. To become a patron, all you have to do is head over to patreon.com forward slash The Emma Gunn Show now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.